chapter 2 defines for us the day of the Lord. Now, God is good, He is faithful, and His faithfulness is seen in covenantal relationship. I've said never overestimate the importance of having a covenant with God, especially that new covenant. But as we look at chapter 2 of Sephania, we're going to see that the day of the Lord is a course not for believers and not for Israel. God will use it to teach Israel truth and to bring that remnant to repentance and to faith. But in the same way that God made a distinction in Egypt, and that wrath of God did not fall upon the land of Goshen, but rather only on the Egyptians. The term Egypt in the Bible comes from a word that means to be pressed together. It is a word that's related to that same term for trouble. And Egypt, oftentimes in Hebrew poetry, is parallel to the world. So in the same way that God's judgment fell upon Egypt, God's judgment will fall upon the world, but God will make a distinction of His old covenant people to the world in the last days. And that's a good thing. It's good because in the same way that in Egypt, there were some of the Egyptians, and we know about that mixed multitude, that saw that distinction, and they responded. Look with me to chapter 2 of Zephaniah. Now, your Bible may say, gather together. But when you do a good study of this word, it is the same word that's used in the Torah for those who gathered sticks on Shabbat. Those who were given a death sentence. And what God is saying to the world, not to Israel, but what God is saying to the world is, get ready. It is as though you are gathering sticks for a fire. What fire? God's judgment. Look at verse 1. Gather together. And again, we find that same word, gather. The nation that is not desired. Now, it's not specifically speaking about any one nation in particular, but the nation that's going to be rejected. And the same way that God looks at the persons, God looks at the nations, and God is speaking that same message to all nations, those who are right now going to be rejected by God, notice what he says. It's an invitation. We have that phrase, beterim, which means before. The implication is act, do, behave before it's too late. So behave before the law is birthed. Now, it is literally the word for giving birth, but it's not talking about 
a child, but a law or a decree. God says, act now before that decree is birthed of that day of the Lord. And when that day comes, it is going to pass quickly, just like, keep reading, as a chef passes in the day, that separation between the grain and the chef. And we usually think of that as threshing. And that term threshing speaks of separation, and that's what's God's wrath going to do. He is going to separate between His covenant people and those who do not have a covenantal relationship. Again, before, act, do before, so that it will not come upon you the anger of the Lord. We see over and over prophetically that our God, yes, He's a God of love, but that same God is a God of anger, a God of wrath. And if we remove that, we don't have a biblical God. So He says, act, behave, do before the anger of the Lord comes upon you the third time, act, do, behave before, shall come upon you the day of God's anger. Now, I hope you see something. God has said three times, you need to respond, you need to behave, there's something that is incumbent upon you if you do not want to receive my anger, my wrath, my judgment. You cannot look at this scripture and interpret it any other way that God is not a God of wrath. And as we learned last night, it is Him pouring out His wrath upon those who are displeasing to Him. It's only that way. For those who have no covenant relationship, it's only that way that God's going to be comforted. The extra truth in this passage is this, that those who have a covenant, a new covenant, God is comforted because they see, or He sees in them, the righteousness of His Son. Look at verse 3. These are commandments. He says, seek the Lord. All and literally the word is humble ones. Now, biblically, there's a, a connection between humility and trusting God. It is only when you are humble are you in the spiritual position whereby you can trust in God. So seek the Lord, all of those who are humble in the earth. Who, His justice, they do. Now, notice there's a connection between doing justice and seeking, what's that next term? Righteousness. When you do justice, you are manifesting righteousness. Justice, when you do it, shows that you are committed to righteousness, and as we've learned, Righteousness, when it is upheld, 
When it is executed, it manifests God's glory. He says again, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the anger of the Lord. Now, this is not to place doubt when it says perhaps. What it's saying is, there's only one way. It's only through humility. It is only within the framework of righteousness. It is only when God's justice is maintained that you can have that expectation. There's not many ways, but one way. Look now to, to verse 4. Here he begins to show his displeasure. And he picks as we're going to see, the Philistines for a reason. The Philistines, they were enemies of King David. And we're going to see spiritually that their descendants are going to be enemies of the son of David, Messiah. And in the same way that the Philistines, that David that he was mighty against them, we're going to see in the last days as an outcome of God's day of the Lord, the Philistines are going to be defeated. Look at verse 4. For Gaza shall be forsaken. It is going to be a recipient of God's judgment. And Ashkelon, a place of Desolation. Ashdod, where we live. Ashdod. In the new time, she is going to be cast out. Now, when we look at this, we see something. Much of what we have studied, much of what we're reading now, has already been fulfilled. God has judged the Philistines. There's no longer in Ashdod or Ashkelon, that, that remnant of the Philistines. We're going to come to another city of the Philistines, and that is Akron. She's been uprooted. And we've seen those five Philistine cities, four of them. God has already fulfilled this. But Gaza, that's something different. And we see other places prophetically that God's going to deal with that location. So there is even evidence that God has began. He has proved himself faithful in uprooting the enemy from the land. Look at verse 5. There is going to be an emphasis upon the seacoast. Now, again, the reason for that, if you remember biblical history, this was the land that initially was given to the tribe of, of Dan. But they didn't inhabit it. They didn't agree with it. They didn't want to fight the Philistines. But notice what it says, verse 5. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast. Who are we speaking about? The nation of the Cretes. This is that, that Greek island 
Crete. And there's a connection. Don't trust me. Just look up on your phone sometime, the Philistines, and do a little bit of research, and you will find that the Philistines are connected to that island. They are a sea-going people. The Bible knows this. And it says here, the nation of Crete, for the word of the Lord is against you, Canaan. Here we're not speaking about merchants, but we're speaking about that land and the inhabitants of Canaan. Those who would not do what they were called to do. Now, if you study, and we are looking at the book of Joshua, and earlier on in the book of Joshua, we see something. Remember Rahab, that, that woman of Jericho? She makes a very important statement. She says, the fear of the Lord has fallen upon all of us. They weren't ignorant. They had knowledge. They had heard what God had done at the Red Sea. They had heard what God had done with these two mighty kings of the Amorites. They knew all of this. And the fear of the Lord was upon them, but they did not do what they were called to do. Now, I've shared with you last night, and I want to say it again. Nothing in the Bible is written by chance. When you look at the word Canaan, if you research it, you do a word study, and in my position, and my perspective, is that the most important thing that you can do to study God's Word is to do word studies. Never a waste of time. Never. And that word for a Canaanite, if you study it, it is a term of submitting. They were called by name to submit, but they wouldn't. Why? That, that, that spirit of fear. Not a fear that brought about surrender, but a fear that caused them to be frozen. An unwillingness to change, an unwillingness to respond. And God says here, look again. Woe, which means how awful it's going to be for the inhabitants of the coast. That nation of Crete, for the word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, the land of the Philistines. And God says, I will cause you to perish. Now again, that word for perish is also related to destruction. God says, I will bring destruction upon you and there will be no dweller left. God's fulfilled that. In many of these five cities of the Philistines, when, when Jewish people began to resettle that area, there was no one there. This scripture partially has already been fulfilled. Look at verse 6. And the seacoast shall be for a cave, and this is a word for a relatively simple or modest habitation that were for shepherds. It says this same place is going to be for a pen of the flock. 
Now, sheep, that's something special. Sheep and shepherds. We see that shepherds, by and large, want to lead their sheep in places of safety. And this land that was so dangerous, the enemy thrived there. Dan wouldn't want to take possession of it. Now, it is going to be a place of safety, a place where shepherds sleep, and so does the flock. God is bringing about change. And it says that the seacoast, third time it's mentioned, the seacoast will be for a remnant of the house of Judah. Why is that so important? Remnant. That shows the faithfulness of God. That shows the work of God. That He is functioning, He is bringing about change. And Judah? Well, Judah is waiting for a greater restoration. And God gives a foretaste, but a greater time is coming. He says that this seacoast shall be for a habitation of shepherds, for the flocks, for the remnant of the house of Judah. And unto these places they will graze. They are going to feed. And the house of Ashkelon is going to be a place in the evening to lie down. For all of this comes about, why? For God has visited, the Lord God has visited, and it says He has returned the captivity of His people. This scripture has been fulfilled. There is a return of the Jewish people to this location where we live, the fifth largest city, Ashkelon. Places along that seacoast. It's one of the most populous places in Israel today. God is faithful. And when we look at that, we should be encouragement. Why? Because God is not done with this prophecy. There are things yet to be fulfilled. We just see the foretaste of it. Look at verse 8. God is speaking. And He says... I have heard the disgrace of Moab and the blasphemy of the sons of Ammon, which they have brought disgrace upon my people. Now, there's no question. This is a prophecy for the last days. And God is saying concerning His people, Israel, that these individuals have brought disgrace and blasphemy, he says, on my people. And God is going to respond. He says they have exalted themselves beyond their borders. Therefore, and I like this, therefore, I'm alive. That's literally what it says. God is living and he is going to show that he's alive in what he's going to do. See, one of the things we see in the day of the Lord, and if you ask me, we see the day of the Lord in the book of Revelation 
when we deal with the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. Until that trumpets begin, we're not in the day of the Lord. And God is going to show himself he's alive. See, what is so tragic today is that you look at a lot of biblical prophecy and hear how people interpret it. They say, well, what the Bible speaks of here is this new kind of plane, new type of tank. This is, is ancient people describing what they saw that they couldn't put in any other terms. I don't believe that. I don't believe we're talking about human warfare. I don't believe it's speaking about nuclear weapons. See, the whole purpose of God's judgment is to show everyone that He is alive. He is moving. He is going to fulfill what He said. The whole purpose of this judgment is so that everyone knows this is God. This is the purpose of the day of the Lord. Look at verse 9. Therefore, I am alive, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Now, I'd like to give you some advice. And that is, if, if you are sitting under the teaching or are part of a congregation that doesn't like the word Israel, See, I don't know why I hear it. I listen to the radio. I see things on the internet. And so many times, I hear people who have this book, and they speak about the same scripture I do, but instead of saying Israel, they say Palestine. But when we look prophetically, we see the God of Israel. Remember what we learned Israel is a kingdom word. You say, where's that in the Bible? Well, remember what Paul says in Romans 9, verse 6. You all know this scripture where he says, not all of Israel is of Israel. Now, he uses that term twice, but in two very different ways. When he says, not all of Israel, when he says Israel the first time, he's speaking about the Jewish people. But when he says Israel the second time, he's speaking about the kingdom people. That verse means just simply not every Jewish person, because they're Jewish, is going to be part of the kingdom. But this is one place where it's clear Israel is referring to a kingdom people. And when it says here, look at verse 9. I'm alive, God is saying declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And what is God going to do? Well, remember, back in the Torah, there was these Moabites and Ammonites, and they did not want to agree with what God was up to, His plan and His purpose. And we see God proclaim judgment upon them in regard to them not being brought into the land, the congregation. And here we see a greater word of judgment. He says, 
For Moab is likened to Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah. And their land, and by the way, it was a good land. It wasn't the promised land, but it was a good land. And it will become, according to the Torah, part of the land that God is going to give His people. But that day of the Lord is coming. And this land that was good and desirable, notice what he says here. He uses the word meshek. And this is one of the Hebrew words for a farm. And then we have after that the word weeds. A weed, according to some of the commentators, that, that have a stench. And he says, this land that was so desirable once, it is a place where people desired is going to become a farm of weeds. Meaning simply, it's going to become useless. And then he uses another phrase for a, a pit or a well or a cistern. Instead of a cistern of water, it's going to be full of salt. And in this case, salt makes it undesirable. Not living water, but salt. We see it in the Torah sometimes relating to judgment as in, in Lot's wife. So God is going to take these things that the world once saw that was desirable, and what is He going to do to it? He is going to make it shmama, which is a desolation. And notice what it says, an eternal desolation. God is going to pronounce eternal judgment upon it. And the message is simple. When you don't want to submit to God, when you don't want to play a part in His purposes, His plan, when you attempt to thwart what God wants, you will find yourself experiencing judgment. Now, many of you know our leaders in Australia, Christian and Margarita, and I did a video not too long ago about the Kabbalah. And I've received a lot of, of personal response, meaning not necessarily did they write in in comments, because many of these people I know, I consider ourselves friends. I don't know if that's still the case. But they felt that was very, as one said, very incorrect. I was accused of speaking and spreading hate. Now, let me share with you something. Because this gets to the heart of what God hates. Now, when we look at writings of the sages, uh, of the rabbis on Jewish law, I don't agree with everything. It's, it's not from God, it is man. But if we're talking about different things that you have to do in your kitchen, 
Different things that you have to do on Shabbat or don't do on Shabbat as a way of trying to fulfill what the Scripture says. I may not agree with that, but I would not classify that as demonic. But hear this. When I look at the literature of the Kabbalah, and the primary text is the Zohar, and the author according to Judaism. Now, if you look at Wikipedia, they give a different answer, a different view for the Zohar and the Kabbalah in general than you find in Judaism, especially in Hasidic Judaism. Because if you were to ask any Orthodox rabbi who really summarizes the spirit, the intent of the Kabbalah, there would be no disagreement. In fact, the place where the Kabbalah originated from a Hasidic point of view is a place called Moron. We used to live very close to there in the north of Israel in the upper Galilee. And people go there frequently because of two tombs. The tomb of the Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and his son, Eleazar. Now, the reason why I believe, and perhaps you haven't seen that video, but the reason why I stated and choose my words very carefully, that the Kabbalah, it's mysticism. That, that's not good. It's not rooted in scriptural truth. And Shimon Bar Yochai, if you look at what he said and why he is revered, is because he says, God decrees and I loosen them. And what I decree, God doesn't. It is about putting oneself above God finding the supernatural power to achieve what you want to achieve. And hear this. When anyone, anyone, is about achieving their will instead of experiencing the will of God, that is demonic. We need to understand that. If that offends, so be it. We find in the Scripture, there are times that we have to be offensive. Not for the sake of offending, but simply because we hold these truths dear to us. They are not able to be compromised upon. And what God is saying here, let's get back to the text. What God is saying concerning His judgment, taking these places that were desirable, and rendering them to wasteland is because they did not want the will of God. They did not want to submit. And notice what he says. Look, if you would, to the end of verse 9. These places that God is going to bring His judgment upon, it says, the remnant of my people, I'd underline that, it is always, always, always about the remnant. This is who God works with. Whether we look in the New or the Old Testament, 
we see that the people of God always is a remnant. The remnant of my people, they will plunder them. And the remaining ones of the nation, they are going to inherit them. What is it speaking about? A transfer. A transfer to the people of God, that remnant that are going to be changed by God's truth who understand that God is a righteous God that punishes sin. Look at verse 10. This, and when that word stands by itself, it's usually talking about a primary thing, a foundational thing. And what is that? To them, in exchange for their pride. What it means is this. God does this, as an outcome of their pride. And pride is rooted in not just a desire to exalt self, but usually pride is related to a specific desire that originates with man and not God. It originates from man, but the source of it is the enemy. He says this is to them in exchange for their pride. For they wanted to bring disgrace. They wanted to magnify themselves above the people of the Lord of hosts. Now, the context is clear. This is not speaking about the new covenant believers. What's going on here? What is the primary theme? the day of the Lord. This day, because you and I, through faith in Messiah, we are our children of the light. We belong to the day. We will not be here when God's wrath falls. You can have assurance with that. All of what he's saying here has to do with the time that God's going to be pouring out His wrath, the day of the Lord. And when He says, my people, He's speaking about Israel. God is going to show Himself faithful to the covenant. And read, I mentioned it last night, I'll do it again, Ezekiel 37. See, God does this because He wants to use Israel as He said He was going to do so in Genesis 12 in order to be a blessing to, potentially, all the families of the earth. And it says in the very last verse of Ezekiel 37, that the nations, they are going to see God's faithfulness to Israel, and they are going to know God. God's faithfulness to Israel is going to be a testimony to all the nations? No. It's about a remnant. Verse 11. The word is nora, which means, in this context, terrible or horrific. Is the Lord against them? For he will reduce all the gods of the earth. It's literally what it says. In modern Hebrew, this word for Reducing is where we get the modern Hebrew word, which means someone that is thin or skinny. 
He is going to reduce all the gods of the earth. And they, they are going to bow down to him. Now, again, if you look at the rabbinical commentators, one will take this back to the place that we talked about earlier, along that seacoast, in a town, Ashdod, where there was a pagan temple of Dagon. And we know how they brought the Ark of the Covenant into that pagan place. And what did that pagan god, that idol do? It was brought down before the Ark of the Covenant. This is what it's talking about here. That eventually, all things are going to acknowledge God. Let me say it differently. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, there's a day coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God that Yeshua, Jesus, He is Lord. It is a fact. Here's what we need to understand. If you do it when you still have breath, that you confess Him and acknowledge Him, that He is Lord and what He has done for you upon that tree. And He just so happened to do it on the festival of redemption, Passover. If you receive that, that that confession will bring about an eternal change, eternal redemption. But if you wait until a later time, many would say this is going to be the outcome of that great white throne judgment at the end of Revelation 20. If you wait to then, yes, you will acknowledge He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Your knee will bow, your tongue will confess, but it is too late. Too late. But everyone's going to confess that. Look, if you would, to the end of verse, verse 11. A man from his place, doesn't matter where he is, in the same way that the gods do it, everyone is going to do that. All the faraway places of the nations. Verse 12. Now, one of the places that we're going next month is Ethiopia. You may not know it, but there was kind of a civil war there for, for a few years. Many believers were, were killed in the midst of this. They reached a peace agreement a few weeks ago. And Ethiopia has quite a rich history. They had a powerful empire. And you look here and God's saying something. He says, also you, Cushin, that's the biblical name for Ethiopia. And it's not speaking about the Jews from Ethiopia, but the nation itself, this strong ancient empire. It says that, that they are going to be a, a carcasses of my sword, are they. God, this, this nation that has that rich history, a powerful empire, God is going to destroy it. What will he do? Not just there, but look at verse 13. And he will stretch out his hand 
upon the north. What does he mean, north? And he will bring destruction. It's a word to perish. He will bring destruction upon Assyria. And he will set Nineveh for a destruction. Like an arid place, a dry place, as a desert. Now, do you know what this does? See, this scripture unites something. I shared with you last night that as we look at God's judgment upon Assyria, we can understand how that judgment should cause us to think about the day of the Lord. And that's what this verse does. It says, just like he judged Assyria, he is going to judge all the nations in the last days. Verse 14. Now, as we conclude this chapter, the focus is Assyria. It's capital, Nineveh. And notice what it says in verse 14. This place of power, of, of buildings and wealth, because of God's wrath, change is coming. It says herds in the plural, cattle, livestock, are going to lay down in its midst. And all the animals of the nation. And then it says something. It speaks about a bird. Maybe some Bibles will translate it a pelican. There's debate. Also, and some will say it's a porcupine. And this is the modern meaning of this word. But most authorities say that again, it's a type of unclean bird that is going to come and dwell in Nineveh. And then we have a word, kaftor. It's speaking about these pillars. And if you've been to Rome or, or look in Greece, you see these marble pillars, and at top, they have kind of a, a wreath around it. That's the meaning of this Hebrew word, kaftor. And it says there, these birds are going to dwell there. And a place that was reserved for the dignitaries, the wealthy, the powerful. Now these unkosher birds are going to dwell there. And there's going to be the voice of singing. Most likely, these birds are going to sing, and you'll hear them through the window. And it says all of this speaks about the judgment that has come at the threshold and how their cedars were, were bared apart, destroyed, laid to waste. Verse 15, and we'll be done. Again, no change in context. We're speaking about Nineveh, a city that was viewed as powerful, mighty, wealthy, a large military, one that felt things are only going to get better. They never anticipated God's judgment would come. But look at verse 15. This is, this city 
of rejoicing. They had everything that a human could want. And they were rejoicing in these things. It says, the one that dwells in security. They thought from a human standpoint against all the other enemies, they were secure. The one who would say in her heart, I am beyond, meaning there's no one else but me. It is a term, an idiom for saying, everything is about me. No one else matters. But what does God say? But it shall be for desolation. It shall become a place where animals lie down. And look at how the chapter ends. And everyone, everyone who passes by, they are going to, now some Bibles will say hiss. It's not the word hiss. It's a word whistle. But a unique whistling. Now, my son, he doesn't buy too much. And the reason why he doesn't buy too much is that he thinks everything is very expensive. And if you ever go to a store with him, he goes by and he picks up and he sees the price and he goes, that's all you hear. And this is what's going on. They look at this city that what it was, the majesty, the power, the wealth. And now it's a habitation for unclean birds. Animals come in, they lay there. What has happened? And because of all the destruction that Nineveh, and realize, Nineveh is being used here symbolically. Nineveh is no more in the last days. God is simply saying, in the same way I destroyed Nineveh, I'm going to destroy, let's be specific, that Antichrist empire. And it says, everyone who will pass by, what are they going to do? Not just whistle, but they're going to look at that Antichrist empire and realize all the pain, all the suffering, all the death, all the waste, and people are going to shake their fist at it. Why? Well, the answer is simple. This empire, it is for those who want what they want instead of what God wants. And the danger is this. See, that same demonic influence that really defines Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, it defines much, hear this, much of Christianity today. That teaches similarly, if I do this, then I can get God to do that. It's all about me manipulating God to get my dreams, my wants, 
That's not the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not the faith of Moshe Rabbeinu. It is not the teachings of Mashiach Tzidkenu, Messiah, our righteous one. It has nothing to do with the scriptural revelation. And that's why so frequently today, we don't see people relying upon this book. When you base your studies upon Scripture, you have a discernment that the world can't understand. You make decisions, you have judgments, you have convictions that the world, it mystifies them. But you will be pleasing to your Lord and your Savior. support God's people by purchasing items made by them. Merchandise with a meaning, products with a purpose. HolyLandMarketplace.com For more teachings, visit, support, or donate at TorahClass.com Join with us in worship and enjoy God's Word at Seat of Abraham Fellowship.